We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Good afternoon, Irish Breakdown family. My name is Vince D'Addario, and I am joined, as always, by Brian Driscoll. And we are both uh, diligent workers at irishbreakdown.com. He's the publisher. I'm the football analyst. And uh, we are here today to continue our breakdown of the uh, position. We're going position by position, uh, post-spring breakdown. And today we are going to focus on the defensive line. But before we do, I must remind everyone, to make sure that you subscribe, hit that like button, hit that notification bell, because uh, we do tend to go live every day at one o'clock. But if you need that reminder, of course, uh, you know, you can you can have it. I get reminded every day uh, that I, that we are going live. Oh, yeah. Look, we're going live. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, and then when I'm not on, sometimes I, I watch Brian go live, uh, which is great. So make sure you hit that reminder button so you get all those notifications. Uh, that is very important. And then, of course, uh, our how do I want to say it? Our, our, the way we do things during the week um, is a little bit different than the way we do things on Friday. Friday, you guys run the show. You ask questions. We answer them. We take them. And we just go. During the week, when we're either doing a recruiting podcast or we're doing uh, you know, the position by position, if you've got a comment, that's awesome. Throw it in. When we're done, we will start. We will hit every one of those comments. And we we tend to not miss any of them. We try to hit as many as we can, however long it takes. Uh, but if you've got something that you really want to get in while we're talking, just throw it into a super chat. It bumps you right to the front of the line. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the magic band at Disney World. You know, you pay a little extra. You're now in the front of the line. And uh, we will address your question ASAP. 
Uh, so that's kind of how we do things during the week. So just a friendly reminder there. So if you've got something, please, by all means, shoot it to us. Uh, we love interacting with all of you guys. You guys are what makes this for us, right, Brian? I mean, I don't, I'm, yes, I'm not speaking absolutely. out of turn, but it's, <laughs> not at all. That's what makes not this at all. fun. Otherwise, it's just two dudes talking to themselves all the time. I mean, <laughs> which is I mean, why we like know, to go live. And and honestly. I'd have to have a you know a real job and all that other kind of stuff. So no, it, it absolutely. <laughs> and that's and as we've said, that's what we're trying to build here is a community. But at the same time, we also every show is going to be different, you know. And that's yep. why we want to make sure that we have the mailbags on Friday, so that way we can address some of those things that maybe we don't get to. But yeah, let's get to some defensive line, Vince, and and uh, and, and talk about this because this is a very interesting position group as we head into this offseason. Well, and and by interesting, I hope you mean unbelievable. Uh, I, I think that this this group has the possibility of being the best group on the team, not just on the defense, um, but I think but see, I think that word you just said right there is why I say it's interesting. Possibly. Okay. Okay. Possibly. Well, you're right. It is, and and it, that's the exciting thing about it for me. Yes. Vince, I, is, I you know, you look at it and you say, you, I'm trying to look at it. There's two ways to look at it. One is sort of like the fan part of me, which I try to bury down during shows like this. Uh, and, and it's kind of like, <laughs> I look at what these guys can be and I start getting excited about man, like sure. depth and, and and then you start looking at uh, you know the the analyst side of me, the coach side of me says, yeah, I love the talent, but there's always you know how coaches are, but there's always that but, right? Well, but there's always a but. They have to stay healthy, they have to sure. prove it. You know, there's still a development needed and those type of things. So that's where you know I'm trying to gauge it and, and try to balance those two different emotions because there's a lot of reasons to be excited about this group. And there's yeah. a lot of reasons to think that this group can be the backbone of not just the defense, but the entire football team. Yes, I agree. But, I, but there's always, but, a but. there's always a, but I, I just, it always floors me. And I've talked about this on other podcasts before when we've been talking about this particular group is that it wasn't that long ago that the general consensus was that Notre Dame could never get, a good defensive line, like across the board and right. depth, right? I mean, right. of course, and you can rattle off the names, Brian, because you're better at that than I am, but there's always been kind of that stud guy or that one guy mm -hmm. that stuck out, maybe a couple guys, or maybe even the starting group. Right, which but we saw in 2012 and 2015. Right. But right. there's never been, uh, at least since I've been covering the team, there's never been kind of this – all the way through depth situation where when the second group comes on, you're not going to see that much of a drop off. Right. You know what I mean? And so it, it's funny to me, with, uh, Notre Dame can never get a defensive right. line like that. There's no way. It's never going to happen and blah, right. blah, blah. And now, I look, these guys are going to be in the conversation for the deepest, best defensive line in the country, in my opinion. Yeah. And it's going to be it's going to be fun to see from start to finish how these guys mature, uh, you know, from a playing standpoint, how they mature together, uh, you know, the different fronts that they're going to employ. Yeah. I mean, just all of it. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be fun to see. You know, and we're not talking about a bunch of overachievers <clears throat> either. I mean, that that's where you start to kind of get a little bit concerned about about your team when you look at how they match up against the big boys. You know, I mean, you're not talking about a, a line filled with, you know, three-star guys that are actual three-star guys with high motors and great players. Right. There are some guys like that. Kurt Heinisch is that way, right? I mean, I don't think anyone has these illusions that Kurt Heinisch is going to be a top 15 NFL draft pick next year. But he is the exception. You know, it, it, we're talking about guys with incredibly high ceilings, Correct. a lot of talent. Some of them were <laughs> highly ranked recruits. Jason Adamiola was a top 100 recruit. Riley Mills is a, a highly ranked recruit. 
Some of them are not. You know, you look at like Myron Tungvaluamosa. He was actually in mock drafts this year. There were people that did not realize he was not coming back to Notre Dame that had him going in the fifth, sixth, or seventh round in their full round mock drafts, which you kind of asked, well, is that person someone we should be taking seriously if they don't know yeah. that he's still in college? Yeah. But the, the point is, is they looked at his talent and said, yeah, that guy is a draftable player last year, you know, like coming right. in, coming after last season. Now he is coming back. You look at Isaiah Foskey. You know, we're talking about a guy that, that you know, you may agree or disagree with it, but a, an SI draft analyst last week had him as a first-round draft pick for next year. Again, I I think there's – let's let him prove himself to be that. Sure, player. but sure. That's where you start getting excited about. And, and, and as good as he is, there's people in the Notre Dame fan base that have already kind of dismissed him because Jordan Patojo was so good this spring, right? And that's the exciting part about this group is, you know, Vince, you talk about it like three, four years ago. Gabriel Rubio is not only automatically playing as a true freshman, not only is Aiden Kayana Ana playing as a redshirt freshman, they're battling to start. Right. And now these guys right now are third stringers right now that are going to try to try to push to get into the second the second unit. And it just speaks volumes to how to how deep this group is. Now, there's one position that's not as deep, and we'll get into it, but that's where maybe you have your best one-two punch from a talent standpoint. So it's an exciting unit, and honestly, it's going to have to be good early. There's going to be a lot of pressure sure. on this group early to be good because, number one, you have a secondary that there are still some question marks about, and you want to make sure that they're able to get started going. But then also – the offensive lines they're going to face in the first three weeks of the season aren't great, and you say if they're not dominating out of the gate, then you start sure. you start wondering is this group really as good as 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 maybe we thought it was going to be? So that's fair. It, it's a lot of intrigue about it, but Vince, goodness gracious, just from a pure analysis of talent standpoint, this is an outstanding. I'll, I'll say this: I have said this before, and I'm going to double down on it now that we're post spring. Okay. In 2018, Notre Dame's two deep at defensive end all got drafted. They were it was made up entirely of fifth round or higher NFL draft picks. Their three technique that season was a first round draft pick. I I believe this defensive line has a chance to be the best defensive line Notre Dame has had under Brian Kelly, which means better than that group, better than the 2015 unit that had Sheldon Day, Romeo Aquara, Isaac Rochelle, and uh, Jerry Tillery in it as a freshman, better than the 2012 group that had Stephon Tuitt, Lewis, Nix, and Capron Lewis-Moore. It has a chance to be that, whether it be from a tr production standpoint, an impact standpoint, because I think the biggest <clears throat> thing about this group compared to what you talked about is, number one, the depth. Right. Number two, this is going to be the most pro D-line friendly scheme that they've played in. And look, the defensive line was very important to Clark Lee. I'm not saying it wasn't, but how he used it was not just as playmakers. It was also to set up other things. Sure. Linebackers being productive and things like that. Marcus Freeman is one of those coaches, and it's not right. It's not wrong. It's just different. It just is, yeah. Marcus Freeman looks at it and says, this is the line that's the closest to the ball. So we're going to use that group to attack, and then that's going to allow – that's where everybody talks about the freedom of the safeties and linebackers. You can't have that freedom without an attacking defensive line. If you have a gap-filling, gap-sustaining front four, which means your job is to sort of occupy gaps and not attack the ball, and you have freelancing line – not freelancing, but you have linebackers that have freedoms to do freedom. things, There's you're going to get crushed. 
because yeah. you're just going to be giving up run, sure. long run, long run, long run. Right, right. That's not what this is. It's we're going to attack with the line, get the linemen on O-line on their heels or push back, and then we're going to let our linebackers and safeties attack. So this is going to be a defensive line scheme that is going to yeah. be very much geared towards making a lot of plays on the football. So those are the two reasons why I think this unit has a chance to be good. And honestly, Vince, it's going to have to start in up the middle. Well, yeah. So let's get, let's, let's jump into it. Let's talk about the inside. Um, <clears throat> everybody's returning, right? I mean, everybody from the inside is back, even though, um, you know, one guy got moved out, uh, to the outside, not out of, not out of the uh, conversation, but he's not in the conversation for inside. Although would not be surprised, you know, in certain packages and certain mm-hmm. things to see, um, to see him back. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, Kurt Heinisch, he is, he's your lunch pail guy. I don't think that ever changes. Um, you know, he's going to give you everything that he's got, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he, that that's just who he is. He may not be the most, uh, you know, athletically gifted, the fastest, whatever, but he's going to give you everything he's got at all times. Mm-hmm. And we've seen flashes where he is really, really good. And, mm-hmm. you know, has he hit his ceiling? Maybe. But I'm not upset that he's back. But that's okay. I, 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 I mean, I mean, what his ceiling is fine with me yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. Right. If he just repeats what he did last year, that's a great place to start. And and that to me is where <laughs> when we talk about the inside, Vince, the reason I say it starts with the inside is because that's the unit I probably have the most confidence in going into the season because that's a unit we've seen the most snaps from. Sure. You know, we've seen what Kurt Heinisch can do. We saw his production last year take a big jump. You know, he had more tackles for loss and sacks last year than he had his first three years combined. Yeah. And, you know, this is a kid who, remember, was not a redshirt. Kurt played as a freshman in right. 2017. He was part of that 2018 rotation and 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 obviously emerged as a starter in 2019 and 2020. But, you know, he is that traditional what we're used to thinking Notre Dame has, which is sure. just a bunch of blue collar, you know, not high picks, but guys that you just say, you know, they're, they're really tough players and they're going to be good 10 out of the 12 games of the year. But then when they play USC – this is back in the day when they play Ohio State or teams like that. They're going to get they're going to get exposed, or when they get to the postseason. Well, now you really only have like one of those guys, right? right. And and he right. is far more productive and, and effective than than th- some of those players we're talking about. But the point is, Kurt's not a guy that's going to be a first round draft pick. I don't believe, but his motor, I, I his agree. quickness, he plays with great leverage. And the other part about it is, Kurt. Kurt would probably be one person that would look at me and say, yeah, I don't agree with that. I think I'm a first-round draft pick because Good. he just kind of has that confidence in himself that, like, he doesn't care he's going against. He's going to battle yeah. his tail off. And I think when you have a guy like that right up the middle of your defense that's just going to make you work all game, and I think the biggest thing that we saw last year, his conditioning was so much better. You know, Kurt was a guy that would tend to wear down later in games, uh, later in the season, which is true of a lot of big guys, but last year, especially big guys who are carrying more weight than they should. I mean, if we're being honest, when Kurt Heinish is done playing football, he's going to lose 30, 40 pounds like oh, that. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. he is not a natural 290-plus <laughs> pound guy. Right. And But last year, we saw him really be able to play deeper into games and deeper into the season for two reasons. One is his conditioning was better, but number two, because there was so much better depth, you could knock off about 10 snaps per game from his workload and that made him far, far more effective. So, I mean, it begins with him. He's the anchor up the middle. Mm-hmm. But after that, you look at it and say, there's some there's some difference makers in this group. And, and they're going to truly be the key to whether or not this defense <clears throat> is really good 
or elite. It's going to be those guys that 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 we're going to talk about next. Well, and I know <laughs> the next guy we're going to talk about, I know you're huge on, and so am I, because we've seen flashes of him even as a freshman, yeah. you know, coming in and being productive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's Jason Adamiola because mm-hmm. – and and you're right. I think this year could be an absolute breakout year for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just I'm excited to see what he brings to the table with a larger role and a bigger opportunity. Right. And with Myron moving to the outside, I think that role has now expanded big time. And mm-hmm. it's going to be and he's the reason that they moved him and Riley because, Miller. The reasons they moved Myron Tungvalu because they have confidence in what is still at the position. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And so. Now that that's kind of his spot, you know, uh, I'm really excited to see what he brings to the table. Yeah, and, and he's a guy – the first thing with Jason Vince is he's got to stay healthy. I mean, he was on the verge of breaking out in 2019 and then got hurt against Navy. You know, he was on the verge of breaking out last year and then got hurt, I think it was against North Carolina, and he missed a couple games. And then he comes back against Clemson and, and Alabama, and you could make a case that especially against Alabama, he was Notre Dame's best defensive lineman, and it wasn't even close. I mean, he was wrecking the Alabama offensive yeah. line. and. You know, now it's about can he put it all together? And here's what I mean by that. In 2019 and in 2020, or 2018 and 2019, he actually graded out by pro football focus as Notre Dame's most impactful right. run defender on a per snap basis. And and then you look at when you look at 2020, they said, okay, well, now we're going to use him more as a pass rusher. And he was more of a third down, you know, kind of get after the quarterback kind of guy. And the reason for that is, is he has the tools to do all those things, but they, the, in different years, they needed him for different roles. Right. <clears throat> and now you look at it and you say, okay, now it's time for Jason, who was getting 15 to 25 snaps a game, to be able to go to 30 to 40 snaps a game right. and still be able to – maybe even 35 to 45 snaps a game and still be able to play with that level of difference-making, but then now also to start making more plays on the ball. And I think he is one player that we've talked – I believe we've talked about this in the past, Vince, where – He's going to be one of the big beneficiaries of of the shift to this new defensive philosophy. Agreed. Because it is a def- defense that's designed to making more plays on the ball from your front four. Jason Adamiola is up. I'm told he's up to 285 now, and it's sticking. But he's been 265 to 275 throughout mm-hmm. his career. Yeah. He's not a guy you necessarily wanted to be using as a space eater, you know, sure. or a gap occupier. Now he's going to be turned loose, and it's a defense that fits his natural ability. He's got to a stay healthy, b be motivated, and and then go prove himself. And I'm confident on the second one. I think Jason's going to be very motivated to go out. I've heard from different sources he had a monster spring. Now it's just about can he stay healthy and become that difference maker. And if he is, I mean, I, I see no reason he can't have a Sheldon Day type of senior season. Remember, Sheldon Day was a guy that was always a Guy with potential, he had like nine tackles for loss as a junior, and he was a good player. And then he comes out as a senior, and he's 15 and a half tackles for loss and those type of things. And I think Jason can have that kind of production, except I think Jason could be a little bit more of an impactful pass rusher than Sheldon was. Sheldon was great against the run. He was a good pass rusher, not a great one. I think Jason could be an impact player as a pass rusher. And I think how they're going to use him is also going to be interesting, Vince, because he's obviously going to start off as a three technique, but – He's the kind of guy that I'd say I, I could see him playing a lot of five technique too, which not only would help him help this defense, but also if he can prove to be an effective five technique, meaning five technique. So so if, if you're not familiar, so five technique is basically a guy that's lined up tight on the outside shoulder of the tackle. And it's a technique that a lot of times you'll use in a three down alignment. So your defensive tackle 
a three technique is over the outside shoulder of the guard. You're just basically bumping them out a, a gap and you're putting a them over the tackle. Yeah. And so uh, if he can do that effectively and rush the quarterback there, now all of a sudden all those three, four NFL teams are going to look at this guy and say, 285 pounds, athletic, can rush the passer off the edge. That's a guy we like. Sure. And it's going to boost his draft stock as well. So it's it's uh, that that's the thing that I'm most interested in when we look at Jason Adamiola is – can he be effective in that role? I think he can. We saw him as an edge rusher in high school, but can he do that at the next level? That's going to be a very intriguing question. Well, and I, and I think just as a blanket statement, uh, the alignment of all of these guys that we're going to talk about, you know, why, you know, is Marcus Freeman going to move some of these guys inside, outside, depending mm. on the situation? You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of that. I think we are I think too. We see a lot of different. I think we're going to see times yeah. where. You know, we talk about Riley Mills next. You know, mm-hmm. Riley Mills is a sophomore that I think Vince, you and I think could eventually be a star. I think he could be a great rotation player next year, sure. this year. And then when the Adam Miola, if Adam Miola goes pro next year after the season, then he steps in and he's now that guy in 2022. He's got that kind of ability. And, you know, but you look at their skill sets and you say, are, are those two guys that can be used together? Yes, I think that you can sure. in certain situations. I see no reason why you can't use them together at times. You know, and and those are some intriguing aspects that they're going to bring to the table. You know, there's going to be times when Myron Tungvaloa may line up inside. There's times when you may put Justin Adamiola inside in some pass rushing situations. There may be times when you don't have a nose tackle on the field. Sometimes you may have three defensive ends on the field. So I think we're going to see a lot of that, especially in the substitution packages, third down, two minutes, stuff like that. But the thing about it is, Vince, is just about everybody that we're going to talk about in the first two levels is a guy that is you're looking at is, okay, I think he could be a really good pass rusher. And that's going to be so key for Notre Dame when you look at their schedule this year. Because other than Wisconsin, you know, Cincinnati's a team that likes to throw the ball, sure, not as much sure. as other teams, but they, they like to throw the ball. Their best player on offense is a quarterback. USC is going to want to throw the ball. North Carolina is going to want to throw the ball. Stanford's obviously a pro-style team that likes to throw the ball. Then you get into the postseason and you start talking about Clemson and Alabama and LSU and Oklahoma. These are teams like to throw the ball. So if you're talking about needing to be a title contender this year, you got to get after the quarterback. And and now we're looking at it where you've got guys to get after the quarterback. But the reason we're talking about that now and not waiting till we get to the end is I'm a big believer in the modern game. The best way to impact the the quarterback is to be pat to be able to rush the passer right up the middle. A I mean, I'm not the biggest. I wasn't a great at geometry and all that in physics in high school and college, but I do know that the 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 fastest way to get to a point is just kind of a straight line and to be closer to it, right? So if I'm standing right over the ball and the quarterback's five yards away from me and you're lined up five yards to my right and the quarterback's five yards away from me, I got a quicker path than you do, right? Yep. And and that's something that I think Marcus Freeman understands and, and you have guys like Adam Yola and and – Riley Mills that you say Howard Cross is another really athletic guy at nose tackle that you look at and say, boy, there's some guys that can really penetrate and get after it. And we haven't talked about Jacob Lacey. We haven't talked about Aiden Kanaan, and we haven't really talked about Gabriel Rubio. Right. I mean, there's been years where if that was your first three defensive linemen, you're feeling pretty decent about what your success is going to be. And these guys are backups. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they're going to be fighting to see the field. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, you can just throw waves of that's these okay. kids people. Yeah. Like, and that's I, the I'm big okay, thing. I'm okay with the fact that Gabriel Rubio and uh, Aiden Kiana Anna, those are guys that are going to have to fight to get on the field. And mm-hmm. you're right. Five years ago, they're playing and they're, and they're not they playing because to. they're good, yeah. but they are. Don't, that, that's yeah. not what I'm saying. 
but they're playing because they have to. They had to, yeah. And and that is not the case that this defensive line is in anymore. And mm. it's a refreshing, it's a re- very refreshing thing in my yeah. opinion. Uh, but the the depth in there is unbelievable, and we don't know, you know, is it going to be two down in the middle? Is it going to be one down? In the, right. Again, the, right. the there's still that's some all change throughout the yeah. season, throughout the games, each game individually. Yeah. That's the fun part to me. And, and I think a guy that we haven't talked a lot this offseason because he didn't play in the spring that could be really important to this defense it, in the fall it. is Jacob Lacey. There it is. And, I agree. And, you know, Jacob was really good as a freshman. He had about 100 fewer snaps last year than he did as a freshman because he was battling with the shoulder injury. And that shoulder injury is what kept him out of the spring because they, I believe that they finally repaired it. Yeah. But he's a guy that when you look at him and you say – Man, like he's got a lot of ability. He's kind of that combo. He's got some penetration ability, but he's also got some size and some meat on him. So he can be a bit of a run plugger. He's a unique, inter- intriguing player because, you know, he's a guy that that can be a playmaker on the ball, but also provides beef that you don't necessarily have a lot of. And And I feel like if Jacob is healthy and back to, you know, back on the, the path that I think that we thought he was after his freshman year right. – Right. You're now looking at a situation where you can now do some stuff with Howard Cross. Yes. Or you can put him over three technique or use some him in some different way since he's an underside. I mean, he's a 275-pound nose tackle. That's not the ideal situation for him. Right. So I think Jacob Lacey, to me, getting back on track, getting his health right, number one, most important thing, but then being able to get caught up when it comes to the technique and the in the in impressing the new defensive coordinator, because Sure. Marcus Freeman hasn't seen Jacob Lacey take a single snap. Yeah. So he's going to have some stuff to prove. But if Jacob Lacey can get can be like a 20 snap per game just animal, right? Then I think that could be the final straw to this defense just being just impossible to defend. Because here's the reason why depth is so important. To me, there's there's two reasons. Okay. One is it keeps you fresh. That's obvious. Everybody That's an knows obvious that. one, yes. But when you have depth, it makes it so much harder for your defense to slump. And, and what I mean by that is it, it, it's if you have like one great player and their best is solid, if that great player is having an off day or banged up or is in a matchup to where he's just going against a guy that's as equal, then your defensive line is going to struggle. And, and that's what happened to USC in 2017. They had Rasheem Green, who was a who was a beast, ended up being a third-round draft pick. But part of the reason Notre Dame just abused USC so bad is he was getting a matchup against Quentin Nelson and Alex Bars where he was going against his equal. If not, is, Alex Bars at worst was his equal. Yeah. Quentin Nelson was his the superior. superior. Yeah, exactly. And, and so that, <clears throat> that negated their strength, and so they had no answers. Notre Dame's in a situation now, Vince, where if Jason Adamiola's having an off game or is banged up or let's say he rolls his ankle – you're still going to be okay because you have Riley Mills and Gabriel Rubio and Howard sure. Cross. Same thing if Kurt Heinisch is having an off game because you you now become slump proof because and also the other part of the slump proof aspect of it is when you look at the Bars Nelson analogy against Rasheem Green is because you have such unique skills across the board. It's not like hey our power players have been negated because they've got their own version of Quentin Nelson or Alex Bars or whatever, right? But okay, fine. Then put Howard Cross in there and let him use his speed. Put Jason Adamiola in that matchup and let him use his quickness. And or hey, this guy is a you know is a really athletic guy and he's handling Adamiola and Mills. Okay, well then put Jacob Lacey in the game and let Jacob just pop him in the mouth for a couple of series. You know, and and that's the thing about this grouper. You could use Gabriel Rubio who has exceptional size. And 
that's the thing about it, Vince, is that the depth of, of not just the depth numbers, but the depth of talent and the unique aspects of the talent, it makes it so much harder for this line to, to, to have an off game because it would require four or five people to have an off game. And that, that rarely happens in, in well, football. And let me add one more piece to that <clears throat> from a play calling standpoint. Look, defensive line, those guys aren't playing. Like the first string, no matter who you have as a second string, they're not playing the whole game. And so eventually you've got to bring your twos in, whether it's as a group or whether it's, you know, piecing them in or whatever. That changes your play calling. You, you, there, there's certain things you can do with high-level guys that you can't do with lower-level guys, right. right? Am I right? I mean, mm -hmm. it, it changes your play calling with yeah. this setup, with, with the depth that Notre Dame has on the defensive line. Marcus Freeman doesn't have to change the way he calls plays, depending on who's in the game. You know, he might change, you know, things to highlight somebody who's really good, but he doesn't have to be like, oh, man, okay, we got these guys in. We have to be a little bit more basic up front and maybe come at it from a different angle, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it allows play calling to be at its best at all times. Yes. And th yes. That's the way and I it gives you more diversity and it allows you to yeah. match up week to week. You have personnel that allows you to match up against Wisconsin just as effectively as you have personnel that allows you to match up against USC. Vince, I have a task for you. This is your responsibility, okay? Oh, that's brutal. Connor's your guy. If Alexander Ehrensberger makes a sack, what's a good Schwarzenegger line for that scenario? So, Vince, I'm not going to make you answer that now, mm. but before this show is over, you need to have figured out. So when I'm on one of my <laughs> long rants – you better be taking notes and thinking about what your it is, and I've it better be good. Two, I've got two right off the good. top of my head. Okay, uh, well you you I'm we'll get to notes. that we'll get to that down the road, but it better be good. And if Connor doesn't like it, then you have failed uh, in in your job. Okay, so that Ouch. is this is your responsibility to have figured out before we get to uh, the end of the show. But yeah, Connor, thank you for the super chat, buddy. Appreciate your support all the time, man. But that is a great question. We need to get that started. We need to make that a thing. Whatever it is, we need to make it a thing. We need to get what it on social saying? media. If we're going to make it a thing, my second one won't work. Okay. It's a little, probably not PC enough. Okay. Well, then you better you better, scratch better keep that working. One yeah. Because I'm not trying going. to get a deplatformed <laughs> from a, 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 bad, a bad joke. So, uh, uh, but, but anyway, I mean, I, 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 but I, I think you look at, at the defensive line, Vince, and it, you know, I think to your play calling thing is it does give you so much flexibility as a play caller. Right. It's kind of like if you think about on offense, you know, when you've got Will Fuller as your starting receiver and then your backup is, and I don't mean any disrespect, but like Daniel Smith. Sure. Those 10 snaps a game where Will Fuller needs to be off the field and you got Daniel Smith in the game, it completely changes what you can do as an yep. offensive coordinator. That's a great, great analogy. But, but when you've got Will Fuller and then you're bringing Chase Claypool <laughs> off the bench or you're bringing Chris Brown off the bench or you're bringing – you know, a player like that off the bench to replace him, then it's like, okay, well, you're fine. You still have it. You still have it because, you know, you look at a situation where, okay, th this guy's off the field, but we got another future NFL pick who's just not as experienced or whatever. And it allows you to still to, even if you don't, can't do the same things, it still allows you to do some things where you can do damage to your opponent. Yes. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, 
Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Exactly. Uh, and, and that's the thing. And, and again, this whole this whole conversation has been about the interior. We haven't even got to the defensive end yet. But the reason, as I said before, the reason I'm I'm more focused on the interior first is because that group, I feel like we know they're at least going to be here right now. Will they take that final step? We don't know, but at least they're going to be here and they need them to be there. I mean, that's the thing is they need that group to be at least what we expect it to be. And if they go beyond it, great. The defensive end situation to me is a little different because there's, there's a lot more, there's a lot more, I would say raw talent in a couple spots, but there's also a lot more question marks on the outside. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Yeah, no, I would agree. And it's, again, it's not talent because we both right. believe that there's talent there. I mean, yeah. Myron Tagovailoa has proven himself to be a good player, but he hasn't played on the outside yet. So there's question marks there, right? And you and I talked about it uh, in our post-game uh, chat uh, that – he has kind of molded his body into an outside rusher. But it's uh, more natural now. Yes, he, he I was agree. A, he was a guy that, and I had been told this before, Vince, with, with Myron Sangavaloa, that he was a guy that I was told was getting, at times, would get down in the 260s during the season. He just he had a hard time keeping the weight it's on. not his thing. The, yeah, and he, yeah right. I, I've told you this before. I don't know if I've said this publicly, but Myron, I don't know if he still does because I actually haven't been to that church in a while, but the church I used to go to, Myron went there. And, uh, you, you know, you, so you see him in person, you're like, he's not that big. Like, you know, I remember standing next to Jerry Tillery and Jerron Jones and sure. And you're like, yeah, Myron's not that big. He just is more of a natural 250 to 260 guy. And now as a big end, he can be that he can be 265 and be a very effective. And I think we saw that in the spring Vince and, and it manifested itself in two ways. Number one, it allowed him to be much quicker and explosive yes. off the ball. Correct. Number two, twitchy. What I have what I have been told about him from practices, and then what we saw a little bit in the blue gold game is he can now keep that explosiveness 30, 35, 40, 45 snaps into a game. Where in the past, when you got got Myron Tungvalo in the fourth quarter and he was working past 35, 40 snaps, you could see him become far less effective. And I and I don't think that we're gonna see that this year because He's got less weight on. I mean, and, and it's just a more – and he doesn't have to be pounding calories throughout the week and, and overeating, honestly, if we're, being, if we're being real about this, to keep weight on, to be that big and keep that weight on. You have to eat an insane amount of calories to keep yeah. that weight on during the season. 
it gets and, and it gets to not be good lot. for you. Yeah, yeah, it's not good for you. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so now he can be more natural, and I think the benefit is going to be because here's the thing: I was told I was told that Myron was moved to Big End, but there was no promise that he would start. He had to earn that. And Justin Adamiola, I'm also told, had a great spring. So the fact that Myron is still in that number one spot says that he also had a great spring. And we saw him flashing. You know, early in fall camp, it was about – or in spring practice, it was about seeing him come off the edge, and he's just, like, taking the tackle and, like, driving him in and against the run and setting the edge. And we knew he was going to be good at that, Vince, right? The question was, could he could he rush the quarterback? And that's what we saw late in spring. That's what we saw in the blue-gold game where he's just got that burst. And because he's a bit on the short side, he has that natural ability to kind of just get up underneath the pads of tackles and I think I think his time playing tackle is going to help him as an edge rusher because he sure. understands leverage so much more maybe than a six five long armed defensive end might. So uh, to me, he's a guy that could very much be the key. And and honestly, Vince, I may I may be overselling it here, and and perhaps I am. But I mean, in my honest, most objective as I've thought and thought thought about this. I think this one-two punch could be every bit as good as the one we saw last year and, and the year before. I, I really believe that the that the combination of Myron Tungavaloa Mosa and Jay, Justin Adamiola is going to be dominant against the run, at the very least dominant against the run. But I think there's potential for this group to be to to be better against the pass than than maybe we've seen in past years, where at times. Up until his last couple games of 2019, Adi Adi Ogundiji was more of a run defender. Then he kind of broke out late in 2019. Remember, he had like four and a half sacks in the last three games. But And then last year, Justin Adamiola was was a really good number two against the run, but he didn't provide much of a pass rush. Well, one of the things I've been told by a couple of different sources is his pass rush game has got a lot better this spring, and he was very active against the pass. So now you have two guys that we know are going to be dominant against the run, and and now you're talking about Justin improving his pass rush game. Myron showing that, that, that that's going to make this group really dangerous because I don't think the staff went into the spring thinking they were going to get a lot out of the big end from a pass rush standpoint. Sure. So there was some pleasant surprisedness. I'm making up words again. I love what I say. Um, there was some pleasant surprisedness that 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 hey these guys can get after the quarterback a little bit better than we thought. Yeah. Which well, you could negate on third down because you could sub them out, but on first and second down, it puts you in a bad spot if they couldn't rush the passer. But now well, I'm excited. You know, yeah, I, I'm excited to see Justin. I, I still think um, from the average fan, uh, which of course none of the people listening would be average mm-hmm. fans, um, but I think the there average are no fans, average fans listening to our show right that, now. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, clearly above average fans here. Um, but I think to the average fan, Justin is still in the backseat to Jason. Yeah. I, 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 and I, I think this is the year where he can kind of make a name for himself. If I'm that not makes Jason's sense. brother anymore. Correct. I'm just Justin. <laughs> that, that's absolutely correct. Yeah. And I, I'm very excited to see that for him mm-hmm. um, because I'm sure that's frustrating. I mean, right. I'm sure that's not what drives him. But if you ask him honestly, I guarantee you that that's frustrating. You know, even though back when they were getting recruited, he was the guy getting recruited first. Early on, yeah. Early on, yeah. Early on, realize that. Um, but when it all came down, de- when it was all said and done, he ended up being Jason. Because Jason kept growing and Justin did. Correct. Didn't. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Justin was about as big as a sophomore as he was as a senior. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I, I'm excited for what lays ahead for Justin. I think this could be a breakout year for him mm-hmm. as well. 
Yeah. Uh, so that'll be fun to see for sure. Yeah, it will. And look, a guy that we're not talking a lot about, but a guy that flashed in at least six or seven of the practice videos, and I thought did some good things in the blue gold game is Nana Osafa Mensa. Yep. He was one of the higher ranked defensive line recruits that we on this say. roster. And he was, I remember when he committed, uh, how excited people were because he was a huge get. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of fallen off the wayside just because he right. was raw. Um, I know, was there some injuries in there? Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he got his knee rolled up on in fall yeah. camp last year. He didn't come back till I think, maybe the Syracuse game might have been his first game back. So, uh, but, you know, so he missed some time and, and he also was, you know, more of an edge player and then he was kind of converting to a power player, but his right. body needed time to, to fill out. Well, if you saw him this spring, you saw he is, he is filled yeah. out impressively. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, he's another guy that right now is kind of set as the third string defensive end. It's not that long ago that Nana going into his third year would be almost a lot to be in the rotation. Yeah, absolutely. And and I yeah, don't absolutely. think he has to be a – I don't think he has to force himself into the rotation this year, but I think at the very least you hope that he shows enough that, A, they, they find a role for him. Maybe it's five, ten snaps a game. Sure. But more so when you go into 2022 – you know, Justin now steps into the starting lineup as a fifth-year senior. Now Nana steps into that number two role because, as we've established in the in recent seasons, the number two player on the defensive line at Notre Dame, especially at end, is not really a number two player. It's kind of right. like one A, one B in the ideal situation. Yep. You know, you you look at it. It, it was that way when it was Aquar and Dalen Hayes. It was that way when it was Hayes last year and Foskey played. You know, had a big role. It was that way sure. when it was Kareem and Ogundiji. It was that way last year with Ogundiji and Adam Yola. And so that's the hope for Nana is even if he can't necessarily crack the lineup, which is going to be really hard, A, he he protects you against injuries. So if one of those two big ends goes down, you're, you kind of feel like you're going to be okay. But then number two, it just keeps this this train rolling of, right? you know, it, again, Absolutely. everybody's t- – I, I saw one insane tweet. I'm not going to – I can't say who it was from because I'll get in trouble. But <laughs> – uh, where they were like, you know, Notre Dame should be a top 25 team again this year. And I'm like, should? Like, should. what are you nuts? Because there's this still this impression that, that some people have that Notre Dame, you know, oh, they lost a lot of guys. They're going to take a step back. Well, Ohio State and Alabama lost more guys than Notre Dame, and no one's right. saying, hey, you know. But but Notre should Dame, to me, is at that point now where they're relo- they're just reloading. And they're, and that is no that is nowhere more evident than what we've seen the last four years from the defensive line. I was going to say, especially defensive line. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you, you look at what they lost. They lost – uh, Tillery and they were just fine. They uh, they right. lost Tillery and Jonathan Bonner and they were just fine. Right. Uh, the, the next year they lose they lose uh, Oguara, they lose Jameer Jones, they lose Khalid Kareem, and they're just fine. And I think the same thing this year. They lost Dalen Hayes and Adi Ogundizi, who were excellent players from Notre Dame. They're going to be just fine. And that's where this recruiting operation has been so good. And we won't talk about this too much in this show because this isn't a recruiting show. But I've said before that this D line, this DN class could end up being one of the best that Notre Dame's had in the last decade. So the future is incredibly bright, but I think the present could be if they do this year what I think they're going to do at at a lot of these positions. I think it's going to only enhance recruiting. But what could really set recruiting over the top, Vince, is if the Viper position produces the way that that you and I think it will. That to me, because that is where. You could have that big number, that first-round type of talent, and now all of a sudden you can go to Cyrus Moss and be like, see? You can go to the top 20, 23 ends and be like, this could be you. Right, you know? exactly. Uh, yep. and, and, and again, and it's not just about 
Isaiah Foskey. It's about Isaiah Foskey and Jordan Batoho. And those are the exciting things about it. And to me, that that duo, that's the, the position more than any other, that if the Notre <laughs> Dame defensive line is going to thrive when they get on the big stage against Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, whoever they're able to get, whether it be in a big major bowl game or the playoff, that duo is going to determine whether or not Notre Dame can take that next step defensively. Because the one thing Notre Dame has not had in these situations is that one pass rusher that could just take over. Just game. eats people up and just goes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yep, I agree. And I, I think um, you know we we've we've talked about Isaiah Foskey and what just kind of a freak athlete he is and what he can do to turn the tide of a game. I mean, picking up fumbles and running them back and outrunning basically everybody. I, mm-hmm. I mean, he he's an athlete. Um, but I love the motor on Jordan Patelho and and what he also brings to the table. I, you're not going to see much of a drop off, in my opinion, from mm-hmm. from Foskey to Batelho. And I feel like Batelho is going to be a name that a lot of people don't know right now. Uh, again, not our listeners, but the other people out there. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to non Notre Dame fans, I right? Mean, he he's going to be a name that when you're seeing previews of Notre Dame games about halfway through the season, you're going to have to talk about him. Yeah. Um, I, I just, and that I, duo, hopefully. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I, I, and I, like I said, I think Foskey's kind of like a, yeah, he's, he's really good. Like, yeah, we he's know still, this is happening. Yeah. I, I agree with you, but I do still think he's got a lot to prove. And, and I do think there's, you know, there's parts of his game that I, I still want to see where it's going to get to. Sure. You know, sure. and, you know, we know he's got great athleticism. We know he's got great length, but, you know, what's his pass rushing repertoire look like? Is he just kind of a, if he, if you stop his initial charge, does he have anything else? Sure. That was sort of all my a lot of my criticism over Dalen Hayes over the years. He just Julian Aguara was kind of that way, where it's like, well, if you stop the the edge rush or the power rush, he had two moves, and if you could stop those, and he he wasn't going to get the quarterback. Sure. And and that's the thing where Mike Elson and Isaiah Foskey need to make sure that they're putting in a lot of work is to you know expand that reptar quick, create a spin move. What's his double moves like? Because they have to be able to generate individual pass rushes in those big games. And yeah. I think Foskey and Patelho are two guys that have the tools to do that. And I think the other thing un- unique about him too, Vince, is Foskey's 6'5", 250. Patelho's like, what, 6'2", 240-something, 240-ish. They're completely different body types. And Patelho yeah. is such a – I mean, he could play linebacker. He, he, You know, you could do some things where you have both of them on the field together. Uh, on opposite ends, you could do things where you have them on the field together stacked – behind each other Absolutely. and you can move Batoho around you can move Foskey That's around fun. yeah and so just again it's this whole theme of it's like if you're Marcus Freeman you have to feel like it's Christmas morning you have you, know, like you ever have those Christmas events where you know you you, you think you, you you know think it's going to be a good Christmas and then you show up and you're like holy moly Santa <laughs> you know went nuts this year I whoa, must have been a really whoa. good boy what is you know? this what is this <laughs> dude okay. Um, and so you, you look at it and you say, well, wow, this, this is, I, like, I knew yeah. it was going to be good here, but I didn't know how good it was going to be. Here. Yeah. You I've know? seen that look and, on my kids' faces many yeah. times and it's, it's, <laughs> it's fantastic. Let me tell you. But, it, yeah. but that's what, but that's what it is. had to yeah. feel like when he got out to practice, he's like, yeah. look, I knew about Foskey and I knew, you know, about this guy, but I got, I got, I'd be a Patelho. I got Riley Mills. I got Adam Miola. I got, 
I got Howard Cross. I got I got the other Adam Mule. I got Nana. I mean, I got all these animals, and I'm just like, right. oh my gosh! Like you got to be like a, you got to be fired up about all that. You just got all these fun toys, and for a yeah, guy like Freeman who is naturally creative, it, it's it's gonna it's gonna be a great fit. It, it <laughs> really is. Now, so much fun. again, a lot of this that we talked about though, Vince, is about projection. It's about what we think these guys can do, and that ties it back to the very beginning when I said. A lot of this is going to be about Vince. It's intriguing because it's exciting to think of what they can be. Sure. But we still need to see them become this. Yeah. Adam Yola's got to stay healthy. You know, <clears throat> Myron Tungvalo's got to show he definitely can be an end and he can be an end all year. Foskey's got to show that he's not just a situational guy that can, you know, make some plays in, in a 15, 20 snap thing. Can he be a starter? Can Batoho take what he did in the spring and practices and translate sure. it to real games? You know, when when they play more experienced offensive linemen and that just speed rush that he beat Tosh Baker with is not working, does he have another Something else in the toolbox to go to? Yeah, right. To, yeah, right. Tool Those belt. are all the things that we're going to have to find <laughs> out. And and it's exciting to think about what it can be. But sure. this is still a group that you say it's an ascending group, but it still is a group that you feel like it still has a little bit to prove. In my opinion, there's like in 2019, you kind of knew what the, the you knew the baseline of what the D line was going to be because Aguara had played a lot, Kareem, Ogundiji, Hayes, you know the the Heinish and Tungvaloa, Mosa, they'd all played. Sure, this group to me has a has a, a potentially a lower floor than maybe some of the past D lines, but I think the ceiling is as high as as it's ever been, and that's where that's where I well come and, down and on it. I do think that they have to prove themselves, I think, more to a national audience than to, like, you and me. Like, I mm -hmm. think we know what we're going to get, but at the same time, we need to see it. And I, and yeah. I totally get that side of it. I really do. And, and I think that th th this defensive line is grossly underrated by many national people out there mm -hmm. um, based on what Notre Dame just put into the NFL. Mm -hmm. I get that to a degree. but And it's clickbait. Too. I mean, they, they want people to click their stories and blah, blah, blah. I get that as well. Um, but anybody that pays any attention to what's going on at Notre Dame, especially in this room, uh, need, should know that this is going to be a good group. And, yeah. and they at the do very least, it's going to be pretty good. Yeah. My only so when I talk about are there questions, it's it's not about are they going to be good. They're going to be good. It's, Positive are questions they for be me. Elite. Yeah. That's my that. question. I think they're yeah. at least going to be very good. I think this defensive line, I think the floor for this defensive line to me is is pretty good, like really good. Yeah, um, sure. It's not this little defensive line, in my opinion, isn't going to struggle. That's when I say there's questions, it's not about that. Again, we're talking about what's the standard. The standard right. isn't is the D line going to be good enough to go eight and four? No, the D line's good enough for them to go ten and two. I mean, that's how good it can be. The question is, is can it be elite? Can it be I get that? Can it do for this defense what I know you get that. I just want to make sure no. <laughs> people listening get that. Because you and I have talked about this off the air. Is When For I sure. say I have questions, that's the question. Not is it going to be good. It's going to be good. But can it do for Notre Dame in 2021 what the Clemson D-line did for Clemson in 2018? Mm -hmm. That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about is can it be that good? Sure. I know it's at least going to be I, – like I don't think Notre Dame's going to take any steps back on the defensive line. I have, I'll be shocked if that happens. But again, what's the bar we're looking at now? It's not okay. Can you still be ten and two? Can you get to the playoff and get your butt kicked again? It, it's going to be good enough to do that, right? Yeah, the question absolutely. is: Are you going to be good enough to go play Clemson and you're the reason that they won? 
Yeah. We are, are you the are you the reason that they went out and competed with Bama, beat Bama, right. beat Ohio right. State? That's what Clemson did. Like, look, oh, if yeah. Notre Dame was playing Clemson in 2018 in a seven on seven, Notre Dame would have beat Clemson in a seven yes. on seven. That I have no doubt about it. At least they the would have depth. at least scored. They would have scored on Clemson <laughs> in a seven on seven. But their defensive line, I mean, they had they had the Notre Dame quarterback shook after the second series of the game, and he just yeah. was his eyes were on the pass rush the whole game and, and Notre Dame couldn't run the ball of, like they, like they wanted to in that game. Right. And so that's what you look at and say, can it be that good? You know, can it be, you know, can it be like the Ohio state line? What was it like 2015 with Bosa? I mean, where they just could take games over. Those are the questions. That's the level that I still have questions about, but, but for the first time in a long time, that's kind of my expectation for this sure. group. Absolutely. And, now, and in, in the past, it was, I hope they can get there. Now sure. it's like, yeah, I think they should get there. Like, I'll be disappointed if they don't get there, actually. How many games into this season before you – and, and that with the line not being as dominating as we think they can be, how many games into the season do you, do you start to worry? If they're not dominant against Purdue, I get worried. Okay. Because, look, I'll be a little game nervous. Three, right? Game three. I'll okay. be a little nervous if they don't dominate Florida State just because Florida State's line stinks. Yeah, but you also have to leave that. Okay, it is a new defense and all this kind of stuff, and it is the first game. And but if they get to the game three and they're not they're not whooping up on Purdue, I'll, I'll be concerned. That's what sure. I'm gonna be like. Mm, maybe this D line is not as good as we thought it was gonna be. Yeah, but but even then, if they dominate the first three games, that's not like okay, they've arrived because again, <laughs> the competition isn't great. Like. The right. game that's going to tell me, yep, they're as good as we thought they're going to be, is if they go out and dominate Wisconsin. And that that so like the third game is when I'm going to kind of be raising like a little bit of a red flag if they're not dominating. Mm-hmm. But if they do dominate the first three games, it won't necessarily tell me that they're as good as we think they're going to be because it's honestly they should dominate those three teams. They're not sure. very good. Again, when we say not very good, we're talking about that the matchup with those guys. I mean, Purdue's right. got really good, not the team, right, really good receivers, spot, yeah. and we're talking about the O line against the D line. Right. Those are not good units. If they if they dominate game four, then it's kind of like okay, yep, yep, this group's really good. And so and because game four. Yes, Chicago. Wisconsin's game four. So that is when that'll be the thing that if they dominate that, it tells me this 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 unit has a little something different. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. We want to get jump into questions. Yeah. All right. Let me uh, scroll all the way back up to the top. There is one question I wanted to address first of all, and it's not defensive line related, but uh, but it. Oscar, who's a regular uh, listener, listener, appreciate you, Oscar being a part of the show. So if Notre Dame is looking at cornerback transfers from San Jose state, what does that say about the current cornerback group? Okay. Yeah, so first of all, there's I another wanna, one in here about that too. Yeah, so I want to yeah. address this. They did not offer the cornerback from San Jose state. I have talked to multiple sources on this. Uh, there was a, I don't know if the kid misunderstood something or what's going on. And I don't want to speak to the kid's motivations, but I am confident in saying Notre Dame has not and will not be offering the grad transfer from San Jose state. I think that perhaps they were looking into him as they were looking to maybe add depth to the position, but he is not someone that had, had offered, and, and I do not see that happening at any time now or in the future. Uh, so I thought that was the case yesterday. We addressed it a little bit yesterday. I'm confident now that that is true. So that 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 is not it. When it comes to the other grad transfer, Caleb Evans, it's kind of like what I said yesterday. They like the corners on the roster. They do. 
he's a chance to to make a. I mean, he's just one of those right. kids because he's got experience. Good not to look he, at. Yeah, that's but it's exactly not even just right. about the experience, Vince. You are correct. Yeah, it's part but of it. This kid can flat out play. Sure. I mean, he's really good. I talked to Ryan Roberts from Coast to Coast Scouting. Uh, Ryan used to do uh, – Ryan did some NFL uh, pod work with us, if you'll remember, during the draft season. And he said he talked to a scout that – he talked to someone connected, I believe, around the Tulsa program. I don't remember who, but he said there are times when this was – he was their best defensive player last year. Well, that kind of matters because they had this kid named Zabin Collins – who was an All-American and was a first-round first round draft pick? Yeah, I remember that. So this isn't just some depth guy. This is a. This isn't. This. Okay. He's not Nick McLeod. Okay, and Nick McLeod in 2020 was absolutely needed. I would not take Nick McLeod in 2021. I would not take that type of grad transfer in 2021 because, okay. because number one, one year of eligibility. Number two, Nick McLeod's a good, solid, steady player, but he was an undrafted free agent for a reason, despite running a four three seven. Right? Let's just be honest about that. To me, I'd coach up the younger kids. This is a kid, however, in a Caleb Evans that says, "Okay, this guy allows us to compete with the best of the best." I think sure. he's that good of a corner. I broke down the film. I studied it. I have a film breakdown on on IrishBreakdown.com that you can check out. But this is not a solid player. This is the kind of grad transfer I've always said Notre Dame should look for and only look for, which is this guy makes your room a lot better. He doesn't plug a hole. He doesn't fill in. You know, Nick McLeod right. plugged the hole, and he sure. and I'm glad he did because Notre Dame would not have been as good on defense last year if he did. Agreed. But they're not there anymore, in my opinion. He they don't need hole pluggers. They need difference makers. And a Caleb Evans is a difference maker. The kid from San Jose State is not. Right. So a Caleb Evans is a little bit of a different situation. I don't think it says anything negative about the current cornerback room, especially since they're looking at him to play field where you have your two most experienced corners. This is about Marcus Freeman and Mike Mickens coached against this kid. Sure. They know the kind of competition he was going up against on a date on a week to week basis. And they know how he dominated that competition. And I don't just mean he did good. I'm talking about he dominated. He gave up fewer yard passing yards in four years, right? Parts of four seasons. He played three games of one season, got injured. That's why he has an extra year plus the COVID year. So he has two years of eligibility left. Which I think is huge, by the way. And right. I don't think a That's lot of another part of that. Yeah. But the other part of this, too, is he's played in, in I think, like about 30 games in his career, and he's given up fewer yards in those 30, significantly fewer yards in those 30 games than Nick McLeod gave up in 2020. In 13 games, 14 games. 13 games, yeah. So Yeah, yeah right. They didn't yeah. play 12 regular season. 12 ga- yeah. They played 12 games this year. Right. Yep. So, I mean, I think that says a lot about him. I mean, this is in, – and in, in a league that is known for a lot of points. I mean, sure. the teams in that league score a lot and pass a lot. I mean, I'm going to pull it up right now, Vince, but if you look at that league last year, they had three teams that averaged over 300 yards passing per game, and they neither of them were his team. And another team in Houston that averaged over 265 passing yards per game. So this is a league that has some really good passing football teams, and this kid still did what he did. So I just want to make sure that we kind of address that. Let's get that out of the way so everybody's on the same page, and now we can move on to um, we can move on to some of the the other questions. All right, Connor wants to know, and I think you kind of addressed this already, but since he's my guy, I'm throwing it mm-hmm. up there. 
Who will be the more challenging offensive line among the regular season opponents? Well, Wisconsin's going to be one. They lost one offensive lineman to the NFL. They have at least three or four starters coming back. Uh, they're they're going to be big. They're going to be strong. And the reason I think they're the, the toughest matchup for Notre Dame is because one thing that can negate athleticism is really great size and power. And Wisconsin has that kind of size and power. Uh, that's an offensive line that's been able to to have some success against Ohio State in recent seasons. So I think that, to me, is the, the big matchup. And that's why I point to that game being the one that tells me, hey, this is a group that if Notre Dame can be successful against that group, then they can be successful against anybody on the schedule. There's a couple others, though. I, I think the North Carolina offensive line yeah. is, is going to be good. They were a solid unit last year, but they're all coming back. I believe all five starters are coming back in North Carolina. And then when you combine the scheme with that, a lot of experience, there's some size, there's, there's, some, there's some talent there, not like Liam Meikenberg, Aaron Banks, Robert Hainsey talent, but there's some talent there. So I think that'll be another group. And I think Cincinnati's offensive line has got at least four starters coming back as well. They're going to be experienced. They were a really good offensive line last year. So there's some good offensive lines in the schedule, no question about it. But those are the units. And I don't know if I, you know, to answer Black Rush's question, I don't know if there's any unit that I would say right now is elite just because I've got to, I got to do, I have to do more studying of those units, which we'll do this offseason. We're going to have yep. opponent breakdowns and we'll dive into all that stuff. And I've got film queued up and ready to go. But uh, I don't know if I'd say, like, I don't know if I'd call Wisconsin elite yet, but I expect them to be a top 10 offensive line. Now, elite means they're top four. I don't know if I'm there yet with them. Like a Joe Moore Award finalist. Correct. I don't, yeah. you know, are they on the level of, of, of Oklahoma, Alabama, Notre Dame? I'm not there yet, but they're at least going to be in that, you know, next group to debate type of conversation. I, I do expect them to be that. I would ask you just to, for comparison's sake, say where Notre Dame's line is going to fall, but we don't know who's going to start. Right. So I don't know that that's a fair question right now. So. Um, yeah, I mean, like right now, I'd say that Wisconsin goes into the season with a better offensive line than Notre Dame's going to have. You right. know, maybe maybe they don't have the raw talent than Notre Dame. Well, not maybe, they don't. But this is an experienced group. And as we've seen at Wisconsin, Vince, when they're experienced, they're good. They're really good. Yeah, for because sure. Because they play as one. It's like one line. It's not five dudes. It's one line. And they're all, I mean, they're, they're like in sync, man. They're like a beautiful yeah. ballet. I mean, they really right. are in sync. Like the, when Wisconsin's rolling. The best lines to watch, oh, man. yeah. Oh just, yeah, when they're when they're experienced, like I mean, it's just every the timing of what yep. they do is great. The it just they're really coached well. When, when you really see guys coached. like uh, with a double pull and they're just step for step, you know, oh, yeah. like in sync it's with each other. Tape, I mean, man. it's just it's oh, clinic time. It really is. It shouldn't get me as excited as it does, but it does. All right, uh, Nick has a question about potential uh, formations uh, personnel, I guess. Um, which any question, and not just Nick's. Any question like this, I would say, yeah, there's a chance. Um, but uh, he says, hey, guys, was wondering if it could be possible for Fos Foskey, Batelho, uh, and Mills to be on the field in a three-down front. In a three-down front, it, yes, it'd be, be more of a nickel package. Yeah. And we could see that at times. And it's you possible. Could you could insert Adam Yola instead of one of those two guys or whatever the case may be. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, certainly a chance we could see that. And I think there's definitely a chance we could see it in 2022 because – I don't expect Jason Adamiola to be back if he has the kind of year that I expect him right. to have. Right, right, but, right. But, right. uh, you know, because he'd have to be like that Kurt Heinis fifth year. I mean, he's played – this will be his fourth year of playing. I mean, he's been a regular rotation guy. 
And I think the way that he played against Alabama and Clemson last year, he's on some people's radar. So, you know, but yeah, I, I think, look, I think we're going to see, I'm actually, I may have Vince, this may be a task for Vince during the season if he's got time for it, but I'm very curious to kind of see what type of different rotations we get this year. Because yeah. here's the other thing we, we didn't talk about call. earlier. You know, the defensive line starts with your top four guys, right? But if you go back and watch most teams, they don't play those four guys together for most of the game. So what you don't see teams do, and Notre Dame's been smart about this in the past, and I think they'll be smart about this in the future because we saw we saw Marcus Freeman do this at Cincinnati, is you, you don't just kind of sub in your entire second team. So like in 2019, for example, or 2018, for example, Tillery and Bonner would start the game off together. But if you go back and watch Notre Dame games, for most of the game, Tillery would then be in the game with Heinish, and Bonner would be in the game with Tungvaloamosa. Yeah. Right. And so you, you didn't see Tillery and Bonner actually on the field a lot together. And so that's where we're going to get a lot of these different unique combinations is because you don't That'd always be, fun. Just That'd be like, a fun thing to track. Yeah. Actually. There may be times like during a series when if it's a longer series where you may bring out your starters and put your second group in. But a lot of times you'll start the series with a combination of your two lines just to make sure that you're keeping it fresh. And, and again, so you're not subbing in a entire two deep. But again, what we talked about earlier is I don't think that would hurt Notre Dame as much this year as it would in past years because they're number two defensive line. I mean, here's the deal. Your second team defensive line right now would be J- Justin Adam at, at strong side end, big end, uh, Jordan Patejo at Viper, Riley Mills at three technique, and either Howard Cross at Jacob Lace and or Jacob Lacey at nose tackle. That's a starting That's defensive a starting line group. for yeah. a lot of teams on Notre Dame. Absolutely. Think about it. And if you lost your entire starting lineup and you have that starting four, you still have Nana coming off the bench. You'd have either Lacey or Cross coming, you know, coming off the bench. You'd have Gabriel Rubio coming off the bench. I mean, <laughs> like it's just it's an embarrassment of ridiculous riches is what to it think is. about. You know, the, the the depth. I mean, that would have been one of Notre Dame's best defensive lines in Brian Kelly's first six seasons. The only yeah, group absolutely. that would be better than that probably would be the 2012 group. I mean, that's just how good the depth is at Notre Dame right now. It's just ridiculous. I agree. D-Rock Irish always hitting us with some good stuff. He goes, last several years I've been impressed with the conditioning of the players. Prior to BK era, players were sucking wind in late third quarter, fourth quarter games. I will agree with that. I will also say that it has gotten markedly better since Matt Bayless showed up as well. It took another jump, Mm -hmm. a significant jump, Mm -hmm. uh, since the Bayless program uh, started at Notre Dame. Absolutely. Yeah, I think Paul Longo certainly – see, R- R- Coach Mendoza was a, a really good power coach. Like he was – you know, he was you know, strength conditioning. The strength part was more of his forte. What Paul Longo did is he improved the conditioning from what it was. But there were still problems. There were still some big issues going on, which is why in 2015 I was complaining about how I was concerned about the strength conditioning program. People got mad because they just went 10-3 and blah, 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 blah. And then, of course, we saw what happened. But when, when Matt Bayless, to me, is just like you said, Vince, it's, it's Notre Dame is on an elite level right now from a strength yep. conditioning program. And it's not just Matt Bayless, it's Jacob Flint. It's the entire sure. crew. I mean, he, it, you know, assistant coaches are just as important in the strength conditioning program as they are in the football program. And, and Matt Bayless has done a good job. And when they lost David Ballou, I think it's David Ballou is his name, but when they lost him to Indiana, and he's yeah. now, I think, at Alabama, that was a big loss. And so you're like, okay, who's he going to replace him with? And they've just kept it rolling. So uh, the strength conditioning program at Notre Dame is, is, is to me, on the same level as anybody else, which is why it's so exciting when Notre Dame improves their talent level 
it, it makes them even more dangerous because the, the, the foundational part is there, in, in my opinion. Uh, Nick wants to know where Jason Onye is going to be lining yeah. up. Uh, heard he has gained some weight. Yeah, I've heard that too. I've talked to people that have said he's saying he's now 275 plus pounds. I still think he's going to start off as a, as a big end. Uh, you know, if he checks in at 285, 290, maybe they move him inside, but I, I think they're still going to at least start him off as a big end, give him a chance there. But if, if he's as big as, as I'm hearing, he, his time on the edge won't, won't last very long. And I think that's part of the reason that they're looking at more defensive ends than defensive tackles this year. I think that they see ultimately his future is going to be inside. Uh, which now opens up additional room for for edge players in the 2022 class, which is why you'd say, well, you know, you signed three ends last year. You signed a good number of ends the year before that. Like, why are you still looking for three to four ends? One, because they're really good. But number two, I think some of those guys that they view as ends are projecting to other Grow, grow into right other spots or, or yeah. Right, right exactly. Right. Notre Dame 2164. If this D line group realizes its potential, does anyone else mm. have a D line that's better? And I think when answering this, Brian, we want to take into account the depth too, not just right. straight line, the first team, but I think all the yeah. way through. And I, I, I will admit, I don't know the depth of a bunch of other schools off the top of my head, yeah. uh, but I would put Notre Dame's group against just about anybody. Clemson's one to me that is I would put above Notre Dame's right now. If, okay. if, if and it's that if everyone reaches their potential, I mean, Clemson has depth, but Clemson also has a bunch of top fifteen NFL draft picks on their defensive line. That's the difference. You know, gotcha. Notre Dame has guys that I think could maybe be top thirty draft picks. You know, when you look at Marcus Murphy, Miles Murphy, when you look at Brian Breeze, Breezy at Clemson, those are guys to me that that you know they're so loaded that Xavier Thomas is hard, having a hard time starting for them. I mean, yeah, you know they just got Justin Foster back who missed last year with some COVID related health issues, and he's going to be back this year. They're really good inside. They're really good outside. And and I didn't even talk about Tyler Davis, who was their best defensive lineman last year. As I mean, and we saw the difference he made when he didn't play against Notre Dame the first time, and did play against Notre Dame the second time. That is an elite defensive line. I think that's the group to me that Notre Dame is chasing. Can Notre Dame get there this year? I think they have a shot, but right now that's a, a line that I would probably put ahead of Notre Dame's. I think Clemson's going to have a really good defensive line this year. Uh, if you include their 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 boundary outside backer, which I do. When I look at a 3-4 defense, it's kind of like when I look at Notre Dame's defensive line in 2012, I kind of count Prince Shembo as a defensive lineman, not a linebacker, because of the way that he was used as a – as an outside linebacker. I mean, Prince Shembo was used like Notre Dame's Viper is used now. So if you include that, I think I think Georgia has a chance to be in that conversation as well. That off the top of my head, those are the three groups that that stand out the most to me as far as the elite lines. Bama's line has a chance again if you include their 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 edge player that's an he's considered an outside linebacker, but he's used like an end, the Anderson kid. If you include him, I think Alabama's in that conversation with LeBron Ray. If he's back healthy, Justin Aboigbe, uh, and you look at Anderson, they've got some players there as well. So those are the groups to me that, that off the top of my head, are going to be in the conversation. But I think this is the first time in a long time that I can say I'll be surprised if Notre Dame's not in that conversation with those groups by the end of the year. They have a chance to – they have, certainly have a chance to be in that. And early, I mean, right away. I mean, it's not maybe if, it's like I expect sure. them to be in that conversation. But I don't see anybody being as good as Clemson's going to be this year. And this is going to make 
you know, the Notre Dame Florida State game is going to get a lot of the attention for us, but that's why I cannot wait to see that Clemson Georgia game in the opening weekend. I cannot wait to see that battle. That is going to be a good one. If you're someone who likes trench play, make time on Saturday night, September 4th. I love the fact that Notre Dame is not on at the same time. Yep. I love that, that Notre Dame's the next day. Yep. That that is. Yep. I'll be in Tallahassee sitting in my hotel watching that game. You can believe that. I will absolutely be, be doing that. I'll, I'll be in Granger, but all right. Well, so we'll um, talk about it. You know, like I said, I'm driving down there, so we'll uh, talk about it. That's a good point. All right, Kenny Moore, uh, as fans, what's the one stat that we should be paying the most attention to this year when it comes to judging just how good this D-line is? I think that's a great question. What do you think, Vince? I have my answer. Um, pressures. Uh, pressure. Like, And I know, does pro football focus? Uh, they, they do that, right? Pressures. I, I yeah, want, they do hurries, hits, and sacks. Yeah, they break them three categories. That's what I would be looking at. You know, how much? Because you you said it earlier. How much are they going to be getting into the quarterback's face? Are they? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, look at um, the playoff game against Clemson in 2018. Right, Notre Dame had had Lawrence contained. Right, and it was mm-hmm. the D line that was doing it. And then, of course, we know what happened uh, when there was an injury in the secondary. But um, I, I think that pressures, making the quarterback move around when he doesn't want to move around, hits, you know, all, those pressure stats, I think that's mm-hmm. what we take a look at. For me, it's about tackles for loss. I, I think that's a big one. And the reason I say that is, Vince, is sometimes pressures can be – and I'm talking about run game tackles for loss. Sure. Yep. Sometimes pressures can be you rack up a lot of pressures in third down situations, right? And if you're great on first and second down, it's going to manifest itself in more tackles for loss against the run. And I feel like if if Notre Dame is great against the run and the defensive line is great against the run, they're making more plays on the ball, which means more tackles for loss, that's going to then set up more opportunities to get those pressures. So I think that, to me, the tackles for loss aspect, the plays in the backfield, and I'm not just talking about team tackles for loss. If you want to know how good the defensive line is playing, you look at the entire team tackles for loss because sometimes they're setting up linebackers. But sure. if they're elite, if they're an elite defensive line, then they're going to be the ones making more plays on the ball. And and that's what I want to see. I want to see like Jason that. Adam Yule. I want to see at least two defensive linemen double digits and tackles for loss this year. That's what I want to see. Um, so th- that'll be the number, Kenny, that on a consistent basis I'll be looking at because I think then that leads to more stops on first and second down getting teams in more third and long situations that now it's pin your ears back and go. And that's where to Vince's point that the pressures can really take over. And that's going to make Notre Dame an elite third down defense. It's going to make them a tough red zone defense because they can get sacks on, you know, if you're at the 18 yard line, they can get a sack. And now all of a sudden you're doing you know, your 35 yard field goal became a 45 yard field. Goal. Right. And, and right. That's where you can, that's, that's where you can be a difference makers when you can create consistently create negatives that, to me, is what separates the really good D-lines from the elite D-lines. Alan has a comment. We, I was talking – I made a comment about average fans, and I said mm-hmm. there are no average fans uh, you yeah. know, that listen to us. And he goes, in regards to average fan, I used to think that I was the biggest Notre Dame fan in the world, and then I found this show. <laughs> <laughs> I actually – if you go back to when he actually put that up at 141, I laughed because yes. I read it and I started laughing. That was pretty yeah. good, Alan. That 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 might be yeah. the uh, the one right there for yeah. today. Omar had an interesting comment about the D line too, Vince, that I that I think is very true. Yeah. It's Notre Dame's only position where the next group up every year is as good or better than the previous year starters. And, that's the way it's been the last few years. Absolutely, and I think that's a yeah. testament to Mike Elson. And, and here's what I mean by that. Okay, the reason we don't see that at some other positions, especially on offense, 
is because those coaches don't do as a good of a job of coaching the entire depth chart. And I've been praising Mike Elson about this for years. I praise Keith Gilmore for this one in his brief stand at defensive line is Mike Elson's coaching you hard, whether you're the starter or you're the third string guy. Yeah. And it can make it very frustrating because when you're getting ripped on and you're the third string guy, you're like, dude, you're not even playing me. Why are you hard on me? But in the end, yeah. it, it makes those guys better. And the fact that he does that then gives them the freedom to play deeper rotations. And, and mm -hmm. so I think he deserves a ton of credit for that, that to your point, to, to Omar's point, they lose Jerry Tillery. Don't miss a beat. Now they don't get the pass rush they got from Jerry, but overall they were every bit as good. They lose Aguar and Kareem. Don't miss a beat. They're losing Hayes and Ogandiji. I mean, Notre Dame had two defensive ends drafted this year, and it's kind of like people are acting as if they lost a couple undrafted free agents that weren't any right. good. Right. Not that people think that, but like just that's the response you have when you lose that kind of player is the response people are having about what Notre Dame has lost because it's just, yeah, those guys were great. We loved them, but we're going to be okay. And, and that's the response Notre Dame fans have. But it, it, And it speaks volumes to – because that just doesn't happen out of nowhere. That happens because it's been proven that way over a period of time. And and Mike Elson deserves a ton of credit for that, that, that he's coaching guys up enough to where one guy leaves, next guy steps in. Sure. And not just that, Vince, too, but if you go look at 2019 and you think about all the injuries that Notre Dame had on the defensive line that year. Khalid Kareem was banged up all year. They lost Dalen Hayes in the fourth game of the year. Jameer, they lost Julian Aguara in, what, late October. Uh, they lost uh, – Myron Tungvalo was banged up at times. They lost Jason Adamiola late in the year. And by the end of the year, Notre Dame's defense, defense was playing phenomenal football. You know, Jameer Jones went from a guy nobody really heard of to now he's in the NFL because he stepped in and replaced Hayes and Oak and, D and, and Aquara and made a ton of plays. Yeah. And it just speaks – I mean, if he's not getting coached up as the third drop in, then that doesn't happen, right? I mean, we can all agree on that, Correct. Sure. He just doesn't step in and make plays because he's you know he's been on scout team all year. And I think that's a testament to the job that Mike Elson has done as a coach. I mean, they have, in my opinion, he's, he has become, in my opinion, and you may disagree with this, Vince, others may disagree, he's become one of the five best defensive line coaches in all of college. Oh, football. I agree. So, real quietly, too. Like, nobody talks about him like they talk about, like, Larry Johnson and all that because he doesn't have, like, the first-round draft picks yet. But I think that actually speaks even more Right. To how good of a job that Mike Elson has done, that they're as sure. good as they've been with a bunch of third and fifth round draft picks. And, and you know, I think that's going to change hopefully moving forward. But but he's done a phenomenal job. And it speaks to what what you know what Omar had said and then what what Nick is saying now. Tommy's got a comment here directed right at you because you said it. Mm -hmm. I'm blaming you. I hate it. I hate the it's the first game excuse. It'll be Florida State's first game also. So Florida State's playing at home. <laughs> and it's not about Florida State. It's about whether or not you're going to be able to play at your right. peak in the first game. Look, right. no coach in America has his team ready to peak in game one. If you it's peak in game one, you're like, mm, this isn't good. Yeah, right. You know. So does it? And here's the here's the deal, Tommy. I'm not telling you I expect them to play to struggle in the opener. What I'm saying is I'm going to be a lot more patient and understanding if it does happen. If you play poorly in game ten, that's just you played poorly. If you played poorly in game one against the first non-Notre Dame uniformed person in a year, then I don't expect you to be at your peak. And it's just comes from years and years of developing teams that won championships. And I can tell you, every championship team I was on, and I was on four conference title teams in seven years, I was part of a national championship team, and I can assure you, we were always better in November than we were in September. That's just that, that's, that's what good fact. teams do. That's just, yeah, yeah. absolutely. 
the Trek reviewer. Uh, he wants to know if you think that Nick McLeod will stick with the Buffalo Bills this year. I hope so. I mean, I, I think he's got a chance to stick. I, 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 the reason I can't really fully answer this question is because I don't know enough about Buffalo's depth. Chart. I don't know the depth. Yeah, I was just going to say. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and look, Nick, Nick is a guy that could easily be a special teams guy. Right. Um, which, you know, he could find a home because of that. I think in a nickel um, spot where if you're if you're sure. a defense that that has a safety that can protect your nickel a little bit, that size that he has, he's a good press guy, he's a good jam guy. Sure. I think he could make it, but again, I just don't know enough about Buffalo's depth chart or or and also the the specifically the schemes that they use. If they're if they're like a cover 1 team, then, you know, they play a lot of cover 1, then I'd be a little hesitant because I don't think he's a great man cover guy. Right. You know, but if they're like a team playing a lot of 2 or 4 where the, where the nickel can get protected a lot, then, yeah, I think absolutely Nick McLeod could have a chance because, A, he's going to work his butt off, right? He's yeah, going to be a high-character guy that's not going to get in trouble. I mean, you don't you don't come to Notre Dame as a grad transfer if you didn't handle your business for four years in the classroom the place absolutely. you were at. Because they're not right? – why would you Why would you purposely right. bring in trouble? It's but just, it's not, I'm not even talking about, like, trouble. That's a good point. That is tr- true, and, and we, we know that Notre Dame won't do that, Vince. But it's also about do you know what kind of student you have to be at a place like NC oh, State to get accepted into Notre Dame's grad school? You good weren't point. a three one. You know what I'm saying? Like right, you weren't like point. a two nine. You <laughs> right. didn't graduate with a two nine in basket weaving, right? You were taking real classes and you were thriving in those classes all yeah. while being a starter in the ACC. Right. Absolutely. So you're getting a high character kid. That's the thing. And 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 NFL teams always look for guys like that at the bottom of their depth chart. Like those guys that can, hey, I I don't I know I can count on that guy to show up every day with a good attitude and that's going to increase his ability but beyond saying definitively can he stick I'd have to I'd have to learn more about Buffalo. Tommy uh has a question about the potential grad transfer out of Tulsa. Was he misevaluated coming out of high school obviously since he went to Tulsa right. or a just serious development just got better as he was there. So we talked about this a little bit in a, in a recent show and I, I actually don't think Tommy was in that show. It's one of the recent ones I believe he missed but we have to get out of this notion of just because a guy didn't match his recruiting ranking or just because a guy outplayed it meant that the the analysts were wrong. And you know I got no problem taking a shot at Rivals or 247 from an evaluation standpoint, but the fact of the matter is some guys are great high school players, and you look and say, this guy's really good, and they don't get any better. Right, right. Does that mean they misevaluate him? No, it means he didn't get any at better. At that time, he was really right. good. And other guys, you say, well, like, well, how did you miss this guy? Okay, well, here's an example. So I was at when I was at Duquesne, uh, we they had just lost the year I took over. They had just lost their best receiver. He was a thousand yard guy. He was in the camp with the Steelers at the time, and he was six two. He was like two twenty five. He ran like a four four. And I'm saying, how did this guy end up at Duquesne? And I said, well, you know, he was a guy that. I mean, this is a guy that could have played at Pitt and the ACC. And they said, well, in high school, he played in the triple option offense, and he caught eight passes in his career. And they told me this story, and they swear to God it was true. They said, swear to God that it was true. I still have my doubts, but this they told me. They told him to run a curl route. He said, well, what's a curl route? So, you know, you run 10 yards and stop. And you run 10 yards and sit. He ran 10 yards and sat, literally sat like, down. Literally sat now, down. On the I ground. don't think that story is true, but they <laughs> swear it's true. Come the on. point, however, was he was so raw, he didn't know how to play football. Goes to a place like Duquesne, non-scholarship one AA school, and they taught him how to play football. So – some guys develop. Some guys are 155 pounds as high school seniors, and they become 195 sure. pounds as, as as veterans. You know, so th- we have to kind of get everybody develops differently. It's different than basketball. You know, basketball. You, you these guys are already six five, six six. 
it's such a different thing for me because guys, some guys in football are just, they're as good as they're going to be the, the day sure. they step foot on campus. Other guys are, go to these schools. I mean, th- th- there's offensive linemen that will go to Iowa and be 250 pounds. And you say, well, yeah, he did, he wasn't ranked high because he didn't dominate in high school. But next thing you know, he sits three years at Iowa. He gets to be 310 pounds. His body fills out. So it's not that they were misevaluated. It's at the time, this is who they were. And that's why he went to Tulsa. I had some guy on YouTube like, how did Notre Dame miss out on this, you know, running back from Sam Houston State or whatever? And I'm like, the guy averaged fewer yards per game at whatever, what was it, South Dakota State. He averaged less yards than Kyron Williams averaged this year. It's like, well, how did Notre Dame miss on him? Same reason all 129 other FBS teams right. missed on him. He exactly. clearly, for whatever reason, wasn't considered a Division One prospect, whether it was athletically or academically. So, we have to stop this every time a player ends up here. That that automatically means it was a misevaluation. Some guys don't work hard when they get to college. Some guys get girlfriends and they kind of lose their minds. Other guys struggle so much with the academic side of a place like Notre Dame that it makes it harder for them to succeed athletically. I mean, there's all types of situations to say this is why the kid went to Tulsa. I mean, did they miss on Zayvon Collins? Did every Power Five team miss on Zayvon Collins, or was Zayvon Collins just not that kind of player? In high school, and that's why Oklahoma passed on him, Texas passed on him, Notre Dame passed on him, USC passed on him, Alabama passed on him. You know, he didn't end up at Tulsa because he was a, a five-star player, and we just all missed right. him. Right, he right, right. He developed differently, and that's something that I think we have to kind of get out of. Now, sometimes it's a misevaluation, but I've always felt if you didn't think it was a misevaluation when he signed, then you shouldn't come back three years later and say it was a misevaluation, unless you thought at the time. And there's guys that I've said, no, nope, they're wrong on that guy. You know, I ranked Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa as a four-star player with four-and-a-half-star upside. Well, that's top 50 player in the country. He was the number 52 overall draft pick. I think I nailed that one pretty good, right? But if I'm not going to go back and say that – I can go back and say, y'all had it wrong, right? But if I had him as a three-star player, then I can't now go back and say, mm, you guys misevaluated, right? Because that's who he was at the time. And so that's that's why I kind of I, I push back on that a little bit. All right. Brian uh, wants to comment on the fact you said you have uh, the film ready to go, you know, of other play. Brian has film ready to go. No way. <laughs> Love the show, even if you don't spell your name quite right. See, them's <laughs> fighting words right there, Brian, with I an know. eye. I, okay. I know it is. Uh-huh. Don't worry. There's more okay. coming. Yep. Uh, Brian. I mean, <laughs> Brian, that might be the only ballet reference ever in this show. And I think that's pretty. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a pretty. I'm a married bet. dude who has a very cultured wife, so I am not gonna lie. I've been to operas. I've been to a ballet before, wow. and it's. I actually respect because I'm thinking, my calf is cramping just watching that chick on her toes for 30 minutes. Like that's you fair. know what I mean? Like that's some talent. That's some. And so that's my. I can appreciate skill, even if it's not something I would ever want to sure. do or something sure. I necessarily enjoy. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I can hear a dude riff on a guitar. I'm like, yeah, that's not my kind of music, and still respect still what respect he's doing. Talent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, but hey, look, great. look, H- Willie Galt and Herschel Walker showed that there is carryover between ballet and football. I'm just saying, you want to argue with yeah. Herschel Walker? Go for it. Have <laughs> at. I will not be doing uh, so. I will e- not be doing so. Ethaniel, will Marcus Freeman blitz a lot on passing situations, or he just rush four? I would say so. That's an either or question. I would say yes. Because yeah. I think he's going to do everything. I don't. When sometimes his four is going to actually be, you could look at it as a blitz because right. he's going to drop two ends and bring two linebackers. So yeah, right. it, yes, it, it, it's going to be multiple, and <laughs> yes. that's the fun and excitement that we're going yeah. to see with this defense. But so. I, I do want to speak to his question though. I think that that I've I've had this philosophy, Vince. You know, for a long time, and I know you got to go soon. But 
I've always felt that I love blitzing when I want to blitz. I hate when I have to blitz. Sure. And so it is important yep. that if Notre Dame is capable of just being a four-man rushing team, that's ideal. Yes. But then you then that makes your blitzes even more effective. But if you have to blitz to be successful, that is when you get to the Alabama, the Clemson, the Ohio State, right. the Oklahoma games, and you start giving up big plays because you can't get to the quarterback without pressuring. And we saw that a little bit against Alabama this year where Notre Dame was actually getting pressure on Mac Jones. But right. when he was able to make that pressure miss – he was hitting wide open receivers because they had to they had to overload blitz to get to him. Correct. And that's why I said earlier that Foskey and Patelho have to be able to develop develop as a legitimate every down pass rushers because if Notre Dame has to dial up pressures in those big games, that's when you're going to see them giving up big plays, and that's how you can that can be the difference in winning and losing yeah. in some of those games. All right, Brian, I'll tell you what I'm gonna I'm gonna take off. I got some stuff I got to get done before the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but thanks, everybody. I, of course, I'm looking forward to Friday. Wait, hold on. You're literally going to try to leave without coming up with your Arnold Schwarzenegger quote? Oh, I said by the end of the show, dude. I come forgot on. all about that. All right. If you're unprepared, we can give you a mulligan and come back tomorrow. I got three. But... I got three okay. right here. Let me okay. see him. Well, okay. So, obviously, I'll be back. Got that mm-hmm. one. Because that's, okay. that, you know, that'll take You went the easy whatsoever. route. Okay. I, that's why it was the first one. <laughs> uh, the, the non-PC one, which I just, my personal favorite quote. It's from Kindergarten Cop. It's not a tumor. <laughs> That's my favorite. Arnold uh, that was quote. not nearly as bad as that. When you said not well, PC, I thought it was gonna be something from like Conan the Barbarian or something you, like. You that. got you got to remember, man. I teach in a very liberal school district. Okay. So um, the other one is from Commando, and you mm-hmm. got it's. Uh, I eat green berets for breakfast, and right now I'm very hungry. <laughs> That's a good one. Okay. So you substi- okay. you substitute quarterbacks for okay. green berets. And I eat quarterbacks I eat quarterback. for breakfast, and right there now it is. I like That's my I favorite. Three for me is the one. That's the That's one. My favorite. I eat quarterbacks for breakfast, and right now I'm very hungry. Yeah. I love it. And I, I apologize I for my terrible. Yeah. Uh, impression, but that's all I got, guys. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> on that, uh, it's my. Yeah, Sean Terry had one, Vince. Uh, another Arnold quote. What is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentation of their women from Conan the Barbarian. So, yes, that was a that was a good one for Alexander. And if you just – if you join the show late, basically yeah. we were asked what Arnold quote should we use. Even though Arnold's Austrian and, you know, Alexander Ehrensberger's German, they are different. Um, but, uh, yeah, he uh, – that 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 was a good one there from, from Conan the Barbarian. So mic drop situation. Yeah. I'm out. I'll see you guys later. Going, buddy. All right, so let's kind. Of, I'm trying trying to find where Vince left off. Uh, John Climick, the picks of body by Bayless were ridiculous. Yes, they were. Thomas Walsh says, I just don't think Notre Dame fans are used to this crazy depth of talent. Can't remember stuff like this since Lewis prowling the sidelines. And you're absolutely right. I mean, that is the last time we saw Notre Dame putting out the kind of defensive line talent that they have right now on this roster. Uh, Brian Dembo says, watching our D-line against our O-line, how does our O-line compare against our opponents, asking how the D-line should hold up? I I think that's part of the reason we saw the defensive line so dominant in the spring is because they were going against an offensive line that's undermanned right now. From an experience standpoint, guys moving around, Jarrett Patterson's not there. I think they'll be better this fall, and I think they're going to be better because of going against the defensive line, much like we've talked in the past, where in 2017, Mike Elko talked about how having to get their butt kicked by Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey and Alex Bars and Sam Mustafer every day made them better when they got to the fall as a defensive line because there were no defensive li- offensive lines that they faced that were as good as that one. I think we're going to see that from the offensive line, which is 
you know, it's like you go through this defensive line all spring and all fall camp. By the time you get to Saturdays, in the case of the Florida State game, a Sunday, it's like, well, this is nothing. You know, and, and some of the best teams I've ever been on, I mean, that's what our kids would joke about is Saturdays were the easy part of their weeks because they weren't going against each other anymore. Thomas Walsh, a little baseball love. Notre Dame baseball wins the ACC. Hope the, prog- hope the program's on the move. I mean, look, he did this with a lot of kids. He inherited and some grad transfers from like Furman and places like that. So uh, Coach Jarrett has that program moving along. He's doing a really, really great job there. Michael Morris asks, how good do you think Darren Agu is going to be? If you already answered it, I'm sorry, I missed it. And I did not answer it. Uh, honestly, for me, I think that he's got a chance to be, a, I mean, I gave him a five-star upside, Michael. Now he's got a long way to go to get there. But when you talk about a guy that's 6'6", 230, and he runs track, I mean, that's that's impressive. I mean, that's that's an athlete right there. He's just raw. He's played American football for one year. That's it. So I think he's got a chance to be very, very good. Liam Gaming says, uh, will our offensive line having to practice against the D-line ex- expedite the learning curve synergy of the inexperienced offensive line or will it be discouraging to the O-line as a group? I know they're all competitors. And this kind of addresses what I talked about before. And, and honestly, to me, Liam, it's about whether or not Jeff Quinn handles that group mentally correctly. And I think he will. He's an experienced guy. He's had situ- – I guarantee you we could go back and find years at Grand Valley or Cincinnati where he's had to and, you know, kind of turn over the offensive line. And you understand there's ways to build them up correctly. But I think at the end of the day it's going to be a building up thing for them because what will happen, Liam, is – well, I know that's actually not your name, but uh, I'm going to refer to you by that since that's the one you put on there. But you get into the closer to the season and you start having some success. You know, there's that there's that random Tuesday practice where you just run the ball on them and you protect your quarterback and you make big plays and or you you win a lot more one on one reps and, and pass rush reps than you're used to. And you start to say, hey, we're getting there. And if we can stop, you know, if we can stop Jason Adam and if we can stop Isaiah Foskey, and if Tosh Baker goes out there one day and just dominates Jordan Patelho, who's been giving him fits, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I, I got this. And so it actually builds up their confidence when they start having that success. I've seen that a lot of times. You know, there was a year, actually my first year at Duquesne, and in fall camp, I mean, we just embarrassed our secondary. I mean, we just torched them. Well, two of my receivers spent time in the NFL at a 1AA school. So, I mean, we were loaded. We were experienced. And there's our DB struggled. Well, they what they realized when they got into games is like, oh, no, this is the best receivers I'm ever going to face. And when they would have days where they stopped my receivers, it's like you could – I mean, they were woofing and talking because it was such a, a like, oh, if I can stop them, I can stop anybody. And I think we're going to see that from this group as well. Um, yeah, Brian Dembo, if you, in all seriousness, if you guys are average, I am well below average. Hey, look, you're here, so you're not below average. Omar Austin, absolutely agree. Elson is top five. Yeah, and again, he doesn't get the love. He does not get the national love, but I don't know how you can argue with the success. The defense, the defense has been Notre Dame's driving force behind the 43 and five, 43 and eight the last four years. Uh it, it, it that has been why Notre Dame's been so good. And the driving force of the defensive line of the defense has been mostly the defensive line. So how can you not then say you know, that, that he's doing he's doing a great job. And then you can look and say, well, you know, they had great players. But but the key to me is is not just having that two or three-year stretch with the same guys. It's can you produce lines year after year after year, no matter who you lose. That, to me, is the sign of a great coach. And Mike Elson has, has put himself into that, uh, into that category. Richard Robinson says, great D-line depth. Who do you think the breakout star of the D-line will be? 
That is a great question, Richard. And I would encourage you to check out irishbreakdown.com today. I have my midweek musings up on the site. And I have an article on there where, uh, well, it's not the midweek musings is the article, but the lead story on my midweek musings is I talk about some potential All-American breakout players for Notre Dame this year. And, of course, the first guy that I talk about on the defensive side of the ball is Jason Adamiola. Uh, I am very high on Jason Adamiola. I've always been very high on Jason Adamiola. I think he's shown flashes of being a great player. I think now that he steps into a a primary role as a starter, as a guy that they're expecting a lot from, I think his his production is going to skyrocket. I think he's going to have a big year this year. I think he can have a 10-plus tackle for loss type of season. I think he's a guy that could be in All-American conversations by the end of the year. Now, he's got to stay healthy, but if he's healthy, I fully expect him to have a, a breakout year. I hope that he's not alone. I hope that Isaiah Foskey or Myron Tungvalo also break out with a monster year, but I'm most confident in, in Jason being that guy. John Climax says the D-line could and should make the linebackers look really good as well. I, I agree. And it takes a lot of pressure off the linebackers if the defensive line is good. And then now if the defensive line is just getting penetration and dominating, you start blitzing your linebackers and it's it's just game over for the offense because – if the defensive line is just pushing the line back or getting them to turn their hips, and because of the athleticism of the linebackers, I mean, Drew White's athletic, Jack Kaiser's athletic, Shane Simon's athletic, Maris is athletic, J.D. Bertrand's athletic. I mean, there's it's such an athletic group of linebackers. And now if they're basically getting free runs at the quarterback, oh, my goodness. That's where you start seeing some really dominant play from the Notre Dame defense. John A1 says, who, would you like, uh, who on the D-line would you like to see make the biggest jump from spring to fall? I, for me, it's going to be Foskey. I thought Foskey had a good spring. I want to see him take that next big leap and and really become a dominant player. I think he could be he could be a really really difference maker kind of guy, in my opinion. The Trek reviewer. So I, you are definitely a Bills fan. I get that. The Bills played the highest amount of snaps in the in the league in their nickel package about seventy seven percent of the time. That is why I wanted the Bills to draft Jay. Okay, yeah, I get that. I get that. I, here's my question for you. Do they play a lot of single high in, in those nickel packages or do they play more too high? Because if they play more too high, then I could see a situation in which Nick McLeod can stick there and, and find a whole home as a, as a nickel player and a special teams guy. Uh, Tommy Leonard said it was good development then. But it's not just that. Here's the thing about – this goes back to the question about when we talked about a Caleb Evans. He was a two-star that went to Tulsa and now he's a big-time player. Was he a misvaluator or was it development? Yes, Tulsa's done a good job of developing. They have a well-coached defensive football team, but it's it's beyond that. It's you don't take a legitimate two-star who is always a two-star and turn him into a potential high draft pick, a guy that Notre Dame wants. It's yes, it's about development, but it's also about this is a young man whose body, whose game has made a big leap. And and Tulsa deserves a lot of credit for that. But to me, there's a lot more to it than just development. And the thing about development is. I've always had this philosophy. I've had a lot of success as a football coach, and I've coached a lot of all-conference players. I've coached all-American players, all this kind of stuff. But I've always said, like, look, if I do my job, I'm not taking guys who can't play and turning them into great players. I'm taking guys who have the God-given ability and getting it and trying to get the most out of them. And so Tulsa developed him, and they deserve credit, but this is a kid who had talent that just took a while to 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 tap into. So – uh, that's that's what I mean by that. So that is it for today's defensive line show. I'm going to be back tonight at 8 o'clock 
we're going to talk uh, we're going to dive into some film we're going to look at Notre Dame's wide receiver board we're going to look at about the top five or six guys on the board for Notre Dame in the 2022 class we're going to look at them I'm going to kind of update where things stand in their recruitment dive into some film and uh, and then after the end of that we'll answer any recruiting questions that y'all have so uh so Jojo I see that your question are you going to be able to be in the show tonight because if you're going to be in the show tonight I would love to be able to hold off that question for tonight but if you're not going to be in the show tonight, then we can go ahead and address that now. Actually, I'll just address it now. Just, just so this is uh, how do, how do you like it if we got Martinez as our nickel, more and Mickey or Morrison for our DBs. Look, I like Nakai Martinez. I do. I just feel like there's better players on the board right now than him. And to me, they've already got Jaden Mickey, who's better than him. I think Devin Moore is better than Nakai, and I think Benjamin Morrison is better than Nakai. Um, I just, and that's, and here's my issue with Nakai is I think he's a, he's a really good player right now. I think he might be as good as some of those guys right now, but he's on the shorter side. He is, doesn't have great arm length. And I don't know how much better Nakai is going to get as he moves forward. And so that's why I have a little bit of hesitancy on him. He's also a kind of kid that tends to go to college and prove people like me wrong, who nitpick his intangibles and, his length or his size, but to me, I just I'm I, I like more and Morrison more. I just do, and I think that there's more versatility. Whereas Nakai is sort of a field nickel guy. That is it. If Devin Moore can't play corner, he can play safety. Benjamin Morrison could play safety if you needed him. I think Jaden Mickey could play safety if you needed him too. And so those guys also to me bring a lot more versatility. So I w- I would prefer that they get more Mickey and Morrison. But if they only got two of those guys, so either one of Moore or Morrison, and they got Nakai, would I would I consider that a disappointment? No, it's not a disappointment. Nakai Martinez is a good football player. I just, for me, if we're talking about gap closing, you know, Moore and Morrison with Mickey is is the way that I want to go with it. So, uh, so hopefully that answers your question. So that's going to do it for the show. Please, before you leave, hit the like button on the show. And subscribe to the Irish Breakdown podcast. I, I would really appreciate if you did that. Hit the notifications bell so that you know when we schedule live shows. Again, Monday through Friday, we have a show every day at 1 o'clock. And then tonight, as our typical Wednesday, we will be doing our recruiting show at 8 o'clock. So hopefully you all can join us by, for that. Uh, share these with people. If, if, if you know Notre Dame fans, tell them about our channel. Tell them about irishbreakdown.com. Have them subscribe to it as well so they can get content. And a little update on uh, for people that keep asking about the merch store. My wife has now completed the merch store. We have all the gear in there except for one. She's still designing one shirt that was a new idea that we discussed. Uh, and then right now I just got to figure out the shipping and handling and finish up the pricing. But we are ahead of schedule on the merch store. I don't want to promise a date yet because my wife's got to finish kind of doing some back-end stuff you know for what she's doing for designing the site but we are very 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 close to being done with that so be on the lookout here hopefully in the next week or so we will be done and ready to launch the merch store so everybody have a great rest of your Wednesday you have about five hours and 15 minutes off to go do whatever before I expect you to come back and join me for tonight's recruiting show so if you're not going to be back for that we'll talk to you again tomorrow Everybody have a great, safe rest of your day, and we'll talk to you again very, very soon.
whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.